0: Well, if you'll grab your Bibles, we are not going to be in Romans today. Decided to give the week off with so many people gone as we go through the book of Romans, and we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, uh, oh, let me see, what is it? 6, 9, I think, is where we're going to start out. And then we're also, you might want to mark Genesis 12, because we're going to jump to Genesis and be in Genesis for quite a while this morning. So, you know, it's it's interesting how much Israel has been in the news lately with, uh, you know, with uh, our president going over and going to a Muslim country and then going and visiting Israel and then going to the Vatican. Uh, um, he kind of hit all three major religions while he was over there. And, it, you know, if, uh, there, there's some talk because there's 22 Islamic nations and uh, really, I, you know, you could basically say they just want to push Israel off the map. If, if we could just get rid of Israel, if we could just get to, um, the whole idea of Israel, the whole idea of the Jewish people, if we could just wipe it out, be gone with it, be done with it, the world would be a better place. That is how they feel. Now, some of those are much more, those 22 countries are much more vocal about that, while others are much more subtle in how they, uh, they deal with that. So it's kind of interesting. And this morning, we're going to kind of hit on the Abrahamic Covenant and what that means for Israel, what that means for us as Christians, and so forth. So he- Hebrews 6 9, we're going to be starting out at. Even though we speak like this, dear friends... We are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you have helped His people and continue to help him, uh, help them. We want, to, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who who, "...who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised." Verse 13, "...when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so we are waiting patiently. Abraham received what was promised." Now, many of you, you might read this, might fly right by it, and go, okay, God promised Abraham. So, but what was the Abrahamic promise? What was the promise that he gave to the people? Uh, well, Abram, which eventually led to the nation of Israel. That goes back to Genesis. So I'm going to jump back to Genesis, uh, Genesis 12. So I got it marked. I kind of cheated. So uh, you might want to flip back to Genesis 12. We're going to be in 12, 13, 14, right in there. But it says, the Lord had said to Abram, it's interesting note, he's not a Jew yet. Abraham's not considered a Jew. He's a Chaldean, and uh, uh, he has not yet become a nation. In fact, his name is Abram, when many people call him Abraham, Um, and God changed his name. And he told him, leave your country. He lived in Ur, and Ur was uh, uh, between the Tigris and Euphrates. Think about Iraq, go back to your history. Anybody love history here? Okay, the the, okay, the four people here. Remember your map from history class, um, and uh, you know it's it's right there in Iraq, and it it, in, in the Hebrew means people who who are beyond the river. So, you know, Abram was beyond the river, and and that's what what God chose him in a Chaldean. He lived in a pagan culture and worshiped many different things, but he recognized the one true God, and God took that and changed him. And it says, your people and your father's household, in other words, leave your country, your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, how many of you just, you know, how many of you like moved away from where you grew up? Okay, a lot of people here, I'd say about half the people here, have actually moved. My brother is in the, um, uh, right now he's on the road, so pray for him. He's traveling from Texas to, uh, I think it's Tennessee he's moving to. And uh, my mom has one less child near her, so uh, pray for her. (laughs) But three out of the four boys have actually moved, and and he's moved from Houston back out of of there, and he's going to, I think, Tennessee or something like that. And, um, you know, it takes a lot to move. It takes a lot of... uh, uh, you know, kind of that, okay, we're going to do this, you know, we, we, that hope that holds on to it, this is going to be better for us. Well, imagine Abram, he's leaving his people, his father's household, the business, how he grew up, everything. It took faith. And Abraham took that and walked to the promised land, a land that was occupied. This land was a diverse land, and many people live in there. I call them all the ites. You have the Canaanites, you have the Hittites, you have the Canaanites, the uh, um, yeah, the Catamites. I mean, you can just keep going, the Perizzites and the Amorites and Canaanites and the Gigabytes and the Jejubites and yeah, okay, you try to read them all from up here, okay? So we'll just get everybody in the line and you try to, anyway, but this is all part of the land of Canaan um, and it's not the land of Israel yet. This was 650 miles away from where he was. And he goes through what's called Abraham's Gate. If you go to Israel, they've um, uncovered Abraham's Gate, the, the gate that he would have gone through that was built at that time. It's, it's really cool to be able to go out there uh, and, and look at that gate. And uh, I, I would have got the, the PowerPoint out and, and found the picture that I have of that when we went over there. But I had all these kindergarten duties as a parent that I had to do this week because it's the end of the school year, and they have all these expectations. So I had no time this week. I was up at the school but we saw this gate. It's a, it's a beautiful, huge gate. And they, what they would do is have the people enter into the city through the gate. You would go in and you would turn. And then you would walk a little ways and then you would make another turn. That way people couldn't force their way through the, the, the old-timey gates and stuff. So it's really kind of a fortress entrance if you, you know kind of think of it that way. But God appeared to him again in Canaan. And it says, At the time the Canaanites were in the land, in verse 7 it says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. That's kind of interesting. You got all these ites living in the land, right? You got all these people that are out there and he's saying, hey, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, does that seem fair at all? On one hand, you go, no, not really. Somebody showed up to my door and somebody said, hey, I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to give you that house. I'm going to give you that car. I'd be like, whoa, wait a second. Those are mine. You see what I'm saying? So it doesn't seem like it's fair. But look at it like this. God created man. God created us. He built a relationship with us. So what did we do with this relationship that he built with us? Well, you go back to Adam and Eve, and those beyond that, you know, are, are coming uh, forward to that, is, is sin. Man sinned so bad that God judged us with a flood. That's pretty bad. He preserved a remnant, and, and he, he made another covenant after this covenant that we're going to talk about here in a second, but it's called the, uh, the noetic covenant. And, and he said, go out and fill the earth. So what does man do after that? Well, he spread out over the earth, and he multiplied, right? <laughs> no. Man stayed in one area, and they decided, we know best. And they started building all these temples, and, the, you know, each temple was higher and higher. They're trying to reach the heavens. And, and, and imagine building big buildings straight up. I don't know. You know, where did that come from? You know, but, but you know, and, and by human effort, they wanted to reach the heavens. So in Genesis 11, uh, you know, past the flood... Man's building the tower of what we call the Tower of Babel. And then you have Genesis 12. And Genesis 11, it shows us the grotesqueness of of man and reaching for the heavens and thinking that they they have it all together. How many of us have thought we had it all together right before things went to pot? You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, here man thinks we have it all together. And Genesis 12, God is starting a plan of salvation for man. Now we're going to jump to Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. It's kind of interesting here. What we see is God's initiative. I will do this for you. I will do this for you. I will do this No one else. It's a God thing here. He makes a covenant with him. So God initiates initiates what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And in Genesis 12, it's amplified in Genesis 13, and we read about it in Genesis 15 and 17. It's kind of explained to us. It's confirmed and ratified over and over. So God has this kind of ratification ceremony. And in Genesis 15 now, uh, verse 7, Verse 6, it says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, and along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all of these things to him. Cut them in two pieces. Arrange the halves opposite of each other. The birds, uh, however, he did not cut in half. Now this is how you make a, a covenant back then. Okay, we do contracts, we do handshakes. You know, the old west. You know, you did the handshake, and now it's like you've gone beyond that. It's like no, your handshake isn't working. Thing sign on the dotted line, and then then if you don't follow through on this, what happens? I'm gonna take you to court because you're in breach of contract. Well, back then they didn't do contracts. What did they do? They took animals and they cut them in half and split them apart and you walked between them and you made this covenant and signified if you don't keep your covenant, we're going to cut you in half and you're going to be like this. So, you know, it's a little easier to sign on the dotted line, isn't it? You know, they made these covenants. It was pretty gruesome and stuff, but it was very standard. We we looked at that and we go, oh my, you know. But they, I mean, this is just the way it would happen. If you violate it, this is what's going to happen to you. So in verse 12 of Genesis 15, it says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. The Lord said to him, "'Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve, as slave, uh, they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions.'" Verse 17, "'When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoke and fire pot was blaze, with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces.'" Ironic, you know. Ironic here. Who goes between the pieces? God, the Holy Spirit goes between the pieces. He doesn't take Abram through the pieces. Okay, in, in this contract ceremony, both parties would walk through the pieces. It's kind of interesting. We'll talk about that in a second. But it says on verse eighteen, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to him, "To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates." So, God makes this covenant with him. He walks through it. Abram doesn't walk through it. Why? Hmm. Has nothing to do with Abraham and his descendants and the decisions that they make. You see, God is making this covenant beyond what man can accomplish. Because what happens with man? (laughs) We're sinful. We're going to break the covenant, aren't we? We see, if you go back and you study the Old Testament, and even through the New Testament, and even modern day, you, you see, uh, even as Christians, we break our covenant with God. We don't live up to God's standards, do we? Thank God he has, for, for, you know, he has forgiveness, and He has mercy, and He has grace for us. See, He knew that Abraham's people could not live up to it for the decisions they made. God's the trustworthy one. And if God can be trusted, then God will, you know, God will keep his part. It's a very unconventional way to do the covenant. Now, God also makes other covenants later on, but... Um, there's a couple of them, like the Mosaic Covenant, uh, the law, uh, you know, the law that was given, the Decalogue, the uh, you know, out of Exodus, it's kind of a constitution in a way. The you have the Ten Commandments that uh, you know that encapsulate the, the 613 to 622, depending on how you count the laws. So you have all these commandments there, and you you know, that basically says you are to be holy because I am holy. Now, can we live up to that? We've studied that in detail. We cannot live up to that. There's all these rules, and God was basically saying, I will show you the rules if you want to see the rules. And I want to prove to you that you cannot live up to them, that you need my grace, you need my mercy. And he tells them, I will bless you if you obey, and I will curse you if you disobey. Now, parents, aunts, uncles, any of those around kids, teachers, when your kids obey, what happens? You bless them, right? When the kids disobey, what happens? You, well, you don't curse them <laughs> in that sense, but they get in trouble, don't they? When Brandon does something wrong, when he's being rude, he, there's, a, there's a chair in our house that he goes and sits in, and he does not like that chair. You know, he doesn't really ever play in that chair. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, Brandon, chair. He knows. He's gone. He's stepped over the line. I'm like, you, we told you not to treat mom that way. We told you not to talk to her that way. Go sit in the chair. And then we'll later on, after he cools down because he's mad, we'll talk about that. But just like I curse my child in a sense, not verbally, but I'm saying I give him a punishment when he does something wrong. And that's what God said. If I will bless you when you follow me. I will curse you. I will discipline you when you don't follow me. In the Abrahamic covenant, the land is yours. You own it. The Mosaic covenant is all about enjoyment of that is conditional on your actions. Now to this day has Israel ever enjoyed the whole part of the land that was given to Abraham? No. This land is not little Israel. I should have got out the map again. I didn't have time. But, uh, you know, it's not just the Israel that we see today. It reaches all the way over to Iraq and all the way over to Egypt and and down south a little bit. You know, parts of Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Lebanon and Syria and Iraq. And they've never possessed... All of it. Even under David, when they enjoyed, you know, David and and his son, when they enjoyed great things and great accomplishments and stuff, the titles is, is theirs, but they've never enjoyed it. Why is this? Well, they broke the Abraham or the Mosaic covenant. It's not the Arabs' fault. You know, we want to blame it all on the Arabs right now, or, or you know, we want to blame it all on, on um, Islamic, uh, and so forth. And there's a lot to blame there, okay? Don't get me wrong. I mean, when they go out and kill 29 Christians in Egypt, a- including little ones, uh, you know, and the bombing over in, in England and stuff. I mean, that is just cruelty. That's just evil, right? But at the same time, the reason why the Jews don't enjoy everything is they haven't followed what God set out for them to follow, the titles is theirs, but they haven't done it. They turn their back on the Messiah. Now let's relate this to us. Now that you know, you sitting there going, on, "Thanks for the history lesson this morning." You know, but uh, you know, did we do anything for our covenant with God? And we may go, "Well, what covenant?" You know, the one that, I'm talking about the one that when you became a child of God, when you accepted Jesus, when you accepted Christ, that covenant, did you deserve that covenant? Absolutely not. We have sin in our life. We don't deserve anything that God has done for us. We accepted a gift, the unconditional acceptance. We qualified for it because we were needy but it's a debt that we couldn't pay. It was a debt that, that was owed that couldn't be paid, and that was paid by the cross. And the cross is a new covenant ratification ceremony. Now, do we get the full enjoyment of, of, the, of His grace? Yes and no. Yes, we get, the, you know, the ultimate grace of going to heaven. Okay, we get the full enjoyment of that. But do we get the full enjoyment of grace here on this earth? No. Because little Alan, like little Brandon, acts up and he has to go sit in the red chair. You know what I'm saying? There are times when we don't follow what God has for us, when we don't live for him. Less sin means more enjoyment. More sin means less enjoyment. Now, the world will have that totally backwards because the world says, hey, everything is is for my satisfaction. But we've learned that, man, the world's satisfaction is not godly satisfaction in this life. The most miserable person on this earth is not a person without God, but a person who's rebelled against God, who knows the goodness of God, who's gone away from God because God is going to make them miserable until they come back. That's a proven fact. We've seen that. We've seen that multiple times. We have the title deed, and that's called heaven, but our sin keeps us from enjoying it here while on earth. So concerning the land of Israel, it's undeniably it belongs to Israel, not on their merits because they didn't deserve it, just like we don't deserve heaven, but they still have God's blessing just like we get heaven. We miss the point when we say that Israel doesn't deserve the the, the land. In fact, we kind of totally miss it because they don't deserve it on the merits, but it's God's merits. That we're going by, you see what I'm saying? God made a promise here. It's there. It's theirs because God promised it to them. So this is what Satan has done. If Satan can make it, so God doesn't fulfill His promises, three things happen. One, it proves God is a liar. Secondly, it proves that God is a weakling. And thirdly, it proves that there is no God. Because God made a promise to Israel, but if Israel totally goes away, if Israel gets pushed into the sea like many countries wanted to happen, if Israel is not blessed in any way, what is that saying about God? What does that say about our belief in Jesus? What does that say about God's promise to us? This is why I'm amazed when Christians just, you know, bag on Israel or bag on the Jews or don't support the Jewish nation at all because of sinner sitting there going, well, if God doesn't keep his promise to them, why is he going to keep it to us? So we have to go back and we look at it. And God said, what? If nations bless you, I will bless those nations. If nations curse you, I will curse those nations. That's why as, as Christians and as a nation, we need to support the land of Israel. You know, there's this whole idea that they're the, a replacement theology. We've replaced the Jews. We didn't replace God's promise. God made a new promise. But God does not replace this completely. That's called replacement theology, and that's not biblical. Look at what the Jews have done. The hearts are uncircumcised. They don't know their own scripture, okay? They've stopped studying their own scripture. Um, they've ceased looking for a Messiah. They, they think they've missed the Messiah, so therefore they stopped looking for Jesus to come. They almost, you know, they're almost totally secularized. Now, when we see the Jews on TV, we always see the ones at the wall. We always see the, you know, the ones in in the hats or the hair that curls down, you know, and they're they're wearing their black outfits. Those are the ones that we see on the news and stuff like that. But most of Israel is secularized. They've turned a deaf ear to God, and they they've been privileged with with prophets and leaders and judges and those that have gone to represent the Lord. And still, they did not follow God. They entered into worshiping false gods and they compromised themselves. And still, God said to them, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You see, the whole thing is about God, it's not about Israel. The whole point of Israel, God took a, a nation and said, Okay, I'm going to uh, Abram, I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to show my grace to the world through you. And I'm going to show my blessing to the world through you. If you follow me and your descendants follow me, you, the, the world will see the blessing. If you don't follow me, they will see how I deal with you on that. That's the whole point of Israel. That's the whole point of Abram and, and, and the people, was to show the world. That's the whole point about us, when we become Christians. You know, we don't instantly become all nice and, oh, look at me, I'm gorgeous now and and I'm perfect and I, you know, I make all the right decisions. Every decision I make now that I'm a Christian, I got it all down, don't I? No, God says, Alan, you're an idiot and I'm going to show God's grace, I'm going to show my grace and my love and my, you know, everything about me through you to this world. And then when you mess up and you come and ask for forgiveness, I'm going to show you that I forgive. And I'm going to show other people that I forgive. And I'm going to show how I can take what you've messed up in your life and use it for my blessing. See, many of us hold on to those things in our life that we mess up on. And we just hold on to it. Oh, I wish I hadn't done this. I wish God can take that and make it a beautiful thing. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about our relationship with the creator and the savior now let's go back to hebrews uh hebrews 10 or uh am I in 10 or am i in 8 oh here we go hebrews 6 16 Hebrews 6.16. Sorry about that. Men swore by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope... Offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So here's two things the writer of Hebrews is trying to teach us. First off, God does not lie. It's impossible for Him to do so. Yet Satan, that's the whole thing. Satan wants us to consider God is lying. But since we know that God does not lie, we grab a hold, as he says, uh, you know, the hope here. And this is not a little, oh, let me just hold the hand. of. You know, there's a difference between, oh, you know, I'm holding the hand of my child. But when my child starts running to the street and there's a car coming down, guess what I do? I grab a hold of them. It's different than holding a hand. And that's what we're talking about here. We grab a hold of that hope it gives us the encouragement that we need. If you need some encouragement this morning, then grab a hold of the hope of the idea that God does not lie. He doesn't lie to you. He doesn't lie to me. He sent His only Son to die for our sins. Nothing can come between us and God's love. Yet the enemy wants us to think that, there, that, that our sin can enter in between God's love and us, that it can separate us from God. God and it cannot. This word, to take hold, means to grab. Like I said, not let go. Hold on, you know. um, When I, when I, I I haven't done this in a while, and I I really need to. It's just so hilarious. When you go camping with people, have you, I've talked about this before. Have you ever gone squirrel fishing? Squirrel fishing. Anybody, I mean, I love going to Canada and go real fishing for fish, you know. But squirrel fishing is hilarious. If you ever, you know, take a rod Go buy some, some bags of peanuts. They like the ones with the salt, okay, that are still, you know, in the shell. And you cut the hook off, okay? You're not going to hook a squirrel, okay? Um, the, you get in trouble, you do that. But uh, you, you take the fishing line and kind of take two or three peanuts in the shells and wrap the fishing line so it's kind of on there. And you throw it out toward the squirrels. And you sit there and you kind of jig it a little bit. You know what jig means? Move it, okay? Move it a little bit and the squirrel kind of looks over at it and starts to go for it. Well, the squirrel will grab onto that and start eating away. And you can drag the squirrel towards you. You can get them about five feet from you, okay? Now, what's fun is after a while, you throw it up over a branch. You can get them about five, six, seven feet off the ground before they let go, okay? It's hilarious. And people think you're crazy. You're- if you ever go camping with friends, do this. And just talk it up like, oh yeah, I'm going squirrel fishing. And then find squirrels and do it. And people, you know, first they think you're nuts. But then they're over there joining you. I mean, it's, it's great, you know. But, you know, to not let go. That's the squirrels going, I, you know, every so often they get one and they're happy as can be. But, I mean, to grab a hold of that thing, that's how you can get them up in the air. They're not letting go. That's the, what we need to do. We need to grab on to the hope. And it says here in in, uh, verse uh, uh, 19 here, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of uh, Melchizedek. So we're anchored in a port. Now, you know, this means like firm and secure. Uh, I don't know about you. I I love watching different kind of shows. And and right now... um, Oh, what was his name? There was an astronaut. You know, have you seen this show um, about the astronaut and the shipwrecks? No one, anyone, raise your hand. Oh, people. Okay, good. Thank you. Back there, behind the window, with the children. Okay, yeah, let me explain it to you. Basically, one of the first astronauts. He was, he was up in the, you know, this is like before the moon and they're flying, you know, they're, they're going around the earth and all that kind of stuff. They're in the space capsule. Well, one of them starts making a map. He, he flew over the Caribbean multiple times and he had this special equipment as they were looking for Cuban nuclear weapons, or Russian nuclear weapons around Cuba and different places in the Mediterranean, I mean, not the Mediterranean, but the Caribbean there. And so he had this special equipment and, he, and he's just like bored. I mean, he's flying around and around and around multiple times. Well, he starts noticing these things that aren't, uh, through the equipment, that aren't um, uh, nuclear sites, but they're in shallow water. And he starts thinking, maybe these are shipwrecks. And he starts jotting down exactly where they're at and coordinates and all this different stuff on there. Well, he um, later on, he came back, and he went and searched a few of those, but he handed it down to this man uh, that he worked with, a younger guy. Uh, for many years, they shared an office, and now that guy has taken the, the, the major maps and all the information together, and he's actually out there diving on shipwrecks. Well, they, the show the other night just showed they found what they think is one of Columbus's, uh, one of his grouping of ships. Okay, I think it's from the Pizan or a guy named Pizan had some ships that was part of Columbus's group or something like that. But they found this anchor and wherever there's an anchor that they find because you don't just lose those willy-nilly, there's usually a shipwreck. Well, this anchor is down in in about 30 foot of water sitting on the seabed and it's a hand-forged anchor but it's, it's bent. The stem of it is like rounded Okay, and the and the ring that held on to the uh, through the anchor and, and held on to the rope was broken. That means this anchor they think was moored down. In other words, the anchor's down there grabbing the lines, going up to a boat, and the the waves start coming through, and a storm comes through, and it's yanking against that anchor. Okay, so what happens? The anchor broke. It tore off that ring and it bent that anchor. That's how much force is out there. Well, here God is saying we are anchored, we're firm, we're, sub, we're secure. But we're not secure to an anchor that can be, you know, that's breakable, that's bendable. We're secure to what? The God of the universe. That's who we're anchored to. The anchor's not going to bend, the anchor's not going to break. You know, when I was in college, I um, worked out at my father's grain elevator, and, and there was this huge ship. That was, you know, kind of moored up to the, to the. Uh, it was a super tanker. It was the largest super tanker ever going to Houston Ship Channel at that point, uh, and it was moored up, and it was longer than the, uh, than the. Um, oh, what do you call it? The thing that they moored to the. Yeah, the wharf or whatever—the thing that sticks out there that the boat goes up and connects to—I can't think of the name. Went right out of, out of my mind here. But but basically, it was the longest ship they'd ever had in there, and they were they were hooking it all up and trying to clamp it all down with the ropes. The ropes are like that big around, and they're looping them around and stuff. Well, in the meantime, they didn't think about it. Another ship came through, and what happened? The waves came through, and it pushed. Again. Dock. Dock is the word I'm looking for. There you go. I knew I'd get it. So it hits the dock, and what happens when water kind of hits the dock? It starts going back out. Well, they did this to this boat. Well, they didn't have the very end tied down yet. And they had it tied down to this little walkway off the end of the dock, but they hadn't tied it at that point. Well, when it started going back out, it started drifting. It started pulling these cleats out of the dock. And they're flying, and everybody goes running and stuff. It's not anchored down. It's not held on. But we're held on to Jesus. We're held on to the hope that is true. You see, if we take hold of this hope, it anchors us. It leads us where? The scriptures say it leads us to the inner sanctuary, behind the curtain, into the holy of holies. But not just the holy place. The holy of holies. Just the inner sanctum where God's presence is. And we can, we're, we're cleansed because Jesus went before us. We couldn't be there without that happening. And that's the greatest thing that God ever did for us is to send his son to die for our sins. This allows us to hold on to that hope. It allows us to go into the inner sanctuary and be with God. And ultimately... It accomplishes our grace, our mercy. It allows us to be included into the workings of God. Included into the Abrahamic covenant. Included into the promised land. Over and over, Paul teaches us and the writer of Hebrews teaches us that, that we are grafted into the Hebrew people. We're grafted into God's promise. So welcome Jews. You don't think of it that way, but that's what the Bible teaches us. We're grafted into his covenant, but we're not held to the Abrahamic covenant. We're not held to the Old Testament law. What are we held to? The grace and mercy that Jesus died for our sins. That's what we're held to. And then out of that, we don't serve, we don't, uh, we don't try to not sin because of, well, we've got to follow these rules. We have laws. No, 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 no. Those laws, we're not held to those laws. We try not to sin. We try to live a, a righteous life. Why? Out of our love for our Lord and Savior that died for our sins. That's why we do it. Not because of we have to. And lastly, we're included at in that covenant with Christ, which allows us to be with the Lord, our Creator. We have the joy and the thanksgiving the, the, to be included at the table of the Lord. We have the ticket to the banquet. We have, we have the joy of knowing that we're included in God's plan, just as Abraham was included into his plan. The kingdom of God is ours because of the love of Christ had for us, that he suffered on the cross... He died for our sins. He rose from the grave. And then once we accept him, we're included into that kingdom. That's why we can hold on to the hope. That's why we can be anchored, and our anchor never tears. Our anchor never bends. It's not going to fall apart. It's not going to be found 400 years later or 300 years later. Because our anchor is in Jesus Christ himself. And it's anchored into heaven. Amen? Well, I shortened the sermon today because I knew it was going to be a holiday weekend. Uh, Why don't we stand and we will uh, uh, pray as the worship team uh, finishes up for us. Lord, we're so thankful that you are really our anchor. You're what we hold on to. We can anchor our lives into the fact that you have a blessing for us. That once we accept you, that we have our ticket into heaven. And and from that point, we can enjoy this earth more when we live in your ways. When we make decisions based on what we believe and what we say we believe. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless our lives. That you continue to show us the path. And if we've gotten off that path, Lord. And many of us do this from time to time, Lord. We go down a path that we shouldn't be on. That you would guide us gently back into your fold. But Lord, if it takes something more than gentle guiding, that you would do that too. Because we want to come back into your blessing. And sometimes we just don't know how to get there, Lord. Mm. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.